You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading today is from John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. But this, my Father, by this my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be full. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so when Michelle and I were new parents with brand new little babies, we had this little carrier called a baby Bjorn. They still make baby Bjorns for the babies? That's still a brand? And the thing I loved about the baby Bjorn is like the child, this baby would be literally attached to you. Where I go, you're going with me. We've got this picture of me with one of our children, like, like I don't know, not even a year old as I'm in the kitchen. There's a little bit of feedback there. Um, in the kitchen, just like chopping vegetables and the baby's just like there along for the ride. And it was pretty convenient. Like there was not having to like juggle the baby and bring it with and you're just along for the ride. And But this sort of nearness isn't just about keeping, you know, kids temporarily occupied and not crying. It's actually an important part of their development and growth. It's about establishing healthy attachment that is formed through proximity. We as humans are designed for intimacy. We are designed to grow and to develop and to to flourish and to become like the best versions of ourselves through a vital connection to another. It's wired into us to be dependent like this. As much as we try to be independent people, independent thinkers, independent individuals, we are extremely needy and dependent people. In the world of uh, child development and parenting, there's something called reactive attachment disorder. And it's described as the serious condition where Infants or small children sadly don't establish healthy bonds to parents or caregivers early on. And this disorder, this disorder develops because a child's basic needs for comfort and affection and nurture sadly aren't met. 
They, they don't experience love. They don't experience embrace like they should. And what can happen as a result is that it, alters the, it can alter the formation of a child's growing brain and seriously impact their ability to establish healthy relationships on into their later childhood years and into their adult years as well. They can become avoidant. They can become very disconnected. They can forever struggle with intimacy. Or it can have sort of an adverse reaction and it leads to an over-dependence on people, sometimes unhealthy relationships, harmful, abusive relationships. And so the bottom line is this. With deep connection, we flourish. Without it, we fail to thrive. And, and this is a really helpful way for us to understand spiritual life and spiritual development. This is a really helpful way for us to understand Jesus' call to abide in the vine, to stay forever attached to him. Look with me again in verses 4 through 5. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. The Bible would describe the root of every single human problem, whether it's personal, whether it's spiritual, whether it's societal breakdown, as a problem of detachment. Detachment is a really important way of understanding what the Bible means when it talks about sin. Sin is to live disconnected from God, to forsake him as the source of life and joy and turn to anything else to find it, either good or bad. In fact, in the Hebrew Bible, in the Old Testament, one of the many ways that it describes sin, there are multiple words for sin, but the way uh, the word that we have translated into the English as iniquity in the original language means dislocation. Sin is dislocation, like a body part that has been twisted out of joint or literally separated away from the body. It results in discomfort and pain and breakdown. So think about that. Human history is a story of spiritual detachment. Human history is a story of spiritual dislocation. We see it occurring with our very first parents, Adam and Eve in the garden, when they sinned and they ate of the, of the, the fruit of the tree that God had forbidden, their immediate response was to flee from God, was to run from God and to try to mask themselves and they sought to remedy their situation on their own. So think about even in the Genesis 3 account of the fall of humanity, we see them running from God, we see them hiding, we see them fearful of God, they, we see them becoming self-reliant, we don't need God for this, we can take care of this ourselves. Because of sin, they saw God as a threat to their future and the rest is history. The story just continues to repeat itself throughout human history into our lives as well. And so what that means for us is that our fear, our shame, our strife, our overwhelm, our rage, it's all the outcome of being somehow detached from the source of life that is found in God. I know that for many of us, we have been feeling in this season very dry and very fruitless and like we're not flourishing. From the conversations I'm having 
There's a lot of struggle to obey God's word. It's becoming increasingly difficult to live faithfully for God. It's becoming increasingly difficult to trust God in these times. Doubts are creeping in because many of us are experiencing detachment. Detachment. And so the question that I believe that this passage should raise for us this afternoon reality as we're studying this passage and concluding this series, the question that I believe that this should raise for us is this, where are we abiding? Who or what have you been attached to? Today, as I mentioned, we're concluding our epiphany series where we've been looking at the seven famous I am statements of Jesus found in the Gospel of John, and today we look at the final statement where Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, like all of the previous statements from Jesus, this is a metaphor that didn't just come out of thin air. It's based on an image that would have been very familiar to the original audience. And like most of these statements that we've seen in John, This was based on an immediate circumstance that was occurring right around them that then Jesus uses to show who he is and how he relates to everyday life. Bread and hunger, light and darkness, death and resurrection, and today, the true vine. At the very end of the previous chapter, in chapter 14, the gospel writer John tells us that after the Passover meal, Jesus and his disciples uh, rose up And then they set out to go and pray in the garden that we know as Gethsemane. And as they walked along the path toward the garden to pray, it would have been very likely that on that journey they passed by the temple complex, the temple grounds. And above the entrance of the holy place there at the temple, there was this giant carving in the stone overlaid with gold, this very ornate carving with gold. And the image that was carved into the stone there was that of a, any guesses? As you can see my hands going like that, my best vine impersonation. It was a vine. And the vine represented God's people. And throughout the Old Testament, God's chosen nation, Israel, was referred to as the, quote, vine of God. The vine that had been plucked out of Egypt and planted in the fertile soil of the promised land. And their calling as the vine of God was to remain faithful to God, remain rooted in the covenant that he had established with them, to be obedient to his word. And as they did these things, they would then spread out and flourish and bear fruit for the nations. But the sad reality is that they failed. You read through the Psalms, you read through the the many prophets, And they all seem to lament over the fact that God's people no longer flourished. They failed to be that that life-giving vine to the nations because they didn't remain faithful to God. They didn't keep covenant. They didn't abide. And as a result, they, as Jesus talks about here, became wild and dry and a broken off branch. And so passing by this imagery for some people every single day, Passing by this imagery of the temple would not have been a reminder of religious success. It would have been a reminder of failure. It would have been like one single banner hanging over a high school gym that says, State Champions, 1981. And there it is, like 
fading and tattered. Oh, those were the good days. That would mean very little for people today. That would especially mean very little for high school students today. That doesn't put confidence in anyone. That doesn't offer the team any bragging rights. If anything, it is a big, glaring reminder of what the team is not. They are not champions, and they haven't been for 41 years. But like any time that we are confronted with all the things that we are not, all the ways that we've fallen, all the ways that we've stumbled, all the ways that we've sinned and misrepresented God for all of our regrets and embarrassments and disappointments for the Christian, every single one of these glaring reminders that we will face is also a gracious opportunity to find our confidence and to find our joy in all that Jesus is, the Jesus who says, but I am the true vine. What Jesus is saying is, I am everything that you could never be, morally, religiously, socially. I am what you could never be to your children. I am what you could never be to your friends. I am what you could never be to your spouse. I am what you could never be to your community. I am what you could never be to God. He is the one who extends life and love and flourishing. Jesus is the fulfillment of God's purposes. Jesus is the faithful, obedient, covenant keeper. I just keep going like this because I'm staring at stained glass of Jesus. So it keeps my mind centered there. And listen to this. It gets better. Because for all the ways that Jesus is so much more than we could ever be. In grace, he invites us to come and share in his life, to share in his love, to share in his communion with God, to share in his abundance of joy, to be found in him and he in us, to be reattached. So that through that attachment, through that abiding, Everything that is true about Jesus can become true about us. Seems like an important theme to maybe press into this afternoon. So what does it mean to abide? And what we're going to do is we're just going to look at two things that I think that it means to abide. The first of which is this. To abide means to remain in Jesus. Anyone have the NIV translation here this afternoon? What's it say instead of abide? Remain. Okay, so you have a head start on this already. You already knew this. To abide in Jesus means to what? Remain in Jesus. So this is important because the life of the Christian is not marked by simply coming to Jesus by faith. The life of the Christian is marked by remaining in Jesus by faith. Andrew Murray put it this way. The truth is, there is nothing that moves you to come that does not plead with even greater force, abide in him. You did well to come, you do better to abide. Who could be content after seeking the king's palace to stand in the door when he's invited in to dwell in the king's presence and share with him in all the glory of his royal life? Why would you stand at the door if you've been in? Invited to move in. 
to stay. See, these words of Jesus are being spoken to those who already turned to Jesus. Look with me again in verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. So these are people, we can presume here, that have already been forgiven by trusting in the gospel of Jesus. So for us this afternoon, this means two things. For those who are not believers yet, emphasis on yet, can I get an amen? This is an invitation to respond and turn to Jesus for the first time. Jesus is saying, come to me. But this is also for Christians, whether you've been walking with Jesus for six months or 60 years. This is an instruction to current believers to remain in Jesus, to persevere in him. The question I hear a lot, especially lately, has been this question. What's next? Everybody want to know the answer to that. What is next? I think a lot of people find themselves asking this question, especially for those who have sort of missed out on key components of life over the last two years. Those of us who kind of feel gypped by what happened over these last two years. Now we're looking to the future and we're saying, now what's next? What are these big things coming? Okay, Jesus, where are you taking us? What's the next big thing that Jesus is gonna do in my life? And what's the next big thing that Jesus is gonna do in our church? And Jesus says, here it is, remain. I can guarantee you that is not gonna be sensational enough to anyone who is raised in the evangelical church. Because me saying, okay, here it is, remain, you're saying, okay, but like, what's next? And Jesus says, no, here it is, remain. Yeah, but like after that, after we believe, after we, you know, say the prayer, we become Christians, what's the real stuff of Christianity? Remain. Yeah, but I want to do big things for God, and I, I, I want to make an impact, and I want to make up for lost time, and I want to reach our city for Jesus, and I want to see lives changed. How do we do that? We remain. We remain. I told you that wouldn't be sensational enough. I wonder if we fail to make spiritual progress because we have equated a fruitful life with a busy life. When we hear being fruitful for Jesus, we automatically think being busy for Jesus. Thomas Merton once put it this way, people blinded by their desire for ceaseless motion, for constant sense of achievement, famished with a crude hunger for results, for visible and tangible success, they work themselves into a state in which they cannot believe that they are pleasing God unless they are busy with a dozen jobs at the same time. I feel it. I feel that, that inner angst, I hear the sound of Pharaoh more, 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 more. And Jesus says, oh, no, 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 no. Here's the real stuff of faith. Remain. Remain close to me. Remain close to my word. Remain in prayer. Remain intimate with me. Here, here this is going to rub you the wrong way. Remain in unproductive, inefficient, unhurried time with Jesus. 
The goal is not to be productive. I don't know who told you that. The goal is to abide. To abide in Christ. And I believe that Jesus' words come to refresh us today. And to tell us reality to simply stay put. This is what the word abide means here. To continue to be present. To linger in someone's presence and refuse to depart. It doesn't matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter where we're going. I just want to be with you, Jesus. This was the conviction of the early church. They believed that you stay put to get somewhere. Progress, spiritual progress, is about being planted. Because like we know, with the gardens in our backyards, you grow where you're planted. The fruitful, meaningful life that I know every single one of you, every single one of us wants to live, comes from remaining rooted in Jesus. Now, while this may sound like wine and roses and like easy peasy Christianity, it's just me and Jesus kind of stuff, let me burst your bubble. Remaining is the serious business of faith. Because as we see here, to remain means to keep trusting even when God, the vine dresser, prunes us. It means to stay connected even when there's pain. Look with me in verse 2. Every branch that does bear fruit, he what? Prunes that it may bear more fruit. Okay, we're like 15 minutes from serious wine country. You drive north on any road from here. El Dorado, West Lane, 99, I-5. I guarantee you in 15 minutes, you will look up, down, left, right, anywhere, and you will see vines everywhere. And depending on what time of year that you drive, it's been a while since I've been in Lodi, depending on what time of year that you drive, you're going to see these vines that are so thin and so trimmed down that it's hard to imagine that they're going to survive another season. I mean, they're just these bare, naked vines. But if you know anything about vines and how vineyards work, this pruning is one of the most important parts of the process of producing healthy grapes, healthy wine. Significant cuts are made into the branches, ones that have already proven to bear fruit so that they may bear more fruit in the future. And this is what Jesus describes God the Father doing in the life of a believer. It's not the sign of failure. This is what we think. We think subtraction in our life. We think something painful comes along. I must have done something wrong. But Jesus says the opposite. It's the fruitful life. It's the fruitful branch. It's the fruitful Christian that the vine dresser prunes so that we may bear more fruit in the future. This is not a sign of failure. This is the evidence of God's involvement in your life. This is proof that God cares about you. There's no denying it. Pruning is extremely uncomfortable. I like the way that C.S. Lewis put it. He said... I didn't go to religion to make me happy. I always knew a bottle of port would do that. That's pretty funny. (laughs) Um, Okay. Um, If you want a religion that makes you feel really comfortable, I certainly do not recommend Christianity. 
So Christ didn't redeem you so that you would live a comfortable, easy life. Christ redeemed you so that you would live a fruitful, abundant life. A life that glorifies God. A life that inspires men and women to come to faith in Jesus Christ, which Jesus says is all dependent on pruning. We want to glorify God as part of our mission statement, for goodness sake. Well, then it means pruning's coming. And although pruning hurts, we see something else in this passage. Pruning is far better than ultimate removal. And although pruning is very uncomfortable, it is far better than negligence. To remain in Jesus means to trust Jesus in seasons of subtraction, both personally and for us as a church. Knowing that he is bringing about a fruitful season through pain and loss. Because God is not only in Jesus the vine, but he is the good, wise, capable vine dresser. And to remain means to keep trusting Jesus when obedience is difficult. Look with me again in verse 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I think a lot of people approach, a lot of us, probably every single one of us, approach faith with this mentality. That I will follow Jesus as long as his commands make sense to me. Of course I will obey Jesus, if it makes sense. If it agrees with me, of course I will follow Jesus and obey his word so long as what's being required of me aligns with my personal goals and my political views and my sexual desires and how I want to live and how I want to love. I will trust Jesus so long as it makes sense to me and agrees with what I got going on here. But what happens when you come to an impasse? Because anyone that's been walking with Jesus long enough knows that we're all going to face moments when what God requires and what we desire aren't gelling. They're not getting along. Jesus says something and we're saying, I don't know about that. What happens then? How we respond in those moments reflect whether or not We've ever abided in Jesus Christ in the first place. Obedience is the necessary proof of remaining. And he goes on in verse 11 to say this. These things I've spoken to you that my what? My joy. My what? Joy may be full in you and that your joy may be full. Don't you see? Here's the goal. This is why he calls us to remain in him. This is why he's calling you to love and obey and follow him even when it gets painful. So that through remaining in him, his joy, his real, lasting, eternal joy may be transferred to you. Remain in Jesus. And secondly, to abide means to rely upon Jesus. Remain and rely. When Jesus says, abide in me, he is inviting us to depend completely on him. Ray Ortland put it this way, we are the branches constantly dependent on him. And he is the vine never wearied by us. You know what that means? It means that Jesus is never burdened by us. 
He's never like, oh, it's them again. Wow, what a needy person. He's never stressed by our appearance. He's never bogged down by our drama and our needs. He's never buckling under the weight of our sin and struggles and doubt. He's never stressed to hold us. If only we could grasp the heart of Jesus being expressed in these words, abide in me, I think that these words would come alive. It's as if Jesus is saying, to all you who are exhausted by trying to hold up your own life, by all those who are exhausted by trying to support your own Christianity, by those who are trying to make something of your life, to those who are bending and buckling under the pressure of trying to love God and love others like you're supposed to. Come and depend on me. Place your life, place your future, place your dreams, place your failure, place your identity on me. You are never intended to carry this sort of weight and responsibility, but I am capable. You can't, but I can. Trillia Newbell put it this way, the invitation to abide is good news to the weary person who thinks that they must muster up strength to pursue and know Christ and to love their neighbor, a fruit Jesus emphasizes. No, he provides the grace and the strength. Jesus provides it. Jesus makes it clear in this passage that a fruitful life of love and obedience, one that honors God and accurately reflects his character to the world around us, is not going to be the result of sheer determination or grit. It's not going to be because we tried really hard to be good Christians. It's the result of relying on Jesus and him producing fruit through us. You can't, but he can. And here's how we can trust him. What we need to remember is that the vine that supports the branches is also the Savior who bore the cross. The prophet Isaiah in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 53, describes Jesus as a plant that appeared. And this is how he describes Jesus. He describes him as a root out of dry ground. A plant that springs up where it naturally shouldn't. Who brings life and healing to God's people. And the way that he would do this, the way that this root, this vine would bring life, was by carrying a crushing weight. Isaiah goes on and says this, and we read it in our um, confession today. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our, there's our word, iniquities, our dislocation. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We've all turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him, on Jesus, the iniquity of us all. And Isaiah goes on to describe it this way. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be counted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. This is the gospel. That Jesus bears our sin and death so that we 
can bear his fruit. He takes upon himself our worst so that through abiding in him, we can bear the fruit of his best. And if he's carried the full weight of death and wrath and condemnation on the cross, then we can know he can carry the full weight of our future and our life and our dreams and our identity and our fill in the blank as well. Now, there's a ton of rich theological historical meaning behind Jesus' statement. We could go on and on and on for it, but how I want to conclude is like this. I, I think that there's an extremely personal application found in this statement. Because if Jesus is the true vine that we are to completely rely upon, then the question for us is what are the untrue vines in our lives? Jesus being the true vine means that by nature of that statement, there are untrue vines that we are convinced are going to provide us with only what Jesus can provide us with. Untrue vines that end up leaving us brittle and dry and frustrated and tired and fruitless and may even lead some sadly here to be cut off forever. The stakes are high. These things that we tend to rely upon aren't going to necessarily be bad things. They're often not. Typically, we look to pretty good things to rely upon. We look to people. We look to pleasures. We look to opportunities. We look to health. We look to our family. But we make this really awful mistake of then taking a good thing and attaching ourselves to them. We look to these things and we look to these people to fill us with joy and to offer us meaning and to be the source of our life. And in the process, what we do is we place the weight of our souls upon them. And the result is twofold. Everyone loses in this process because we are left brittle and we are left dry and fruitless. And they are left sucked dry and severely burdened. And when we look to rely upon people, and when we attach our everything to people, we end up crushing them under the weight that they were never designed to carry. Friend, your child cannot bear the weight of your soul. And your spouse cannot bear the weight of your soul. And your career, and your health, and your success and your grades, and your own life, nothing ultimately can hold you up like Jesus. And so when Jesus says, abide, he is saying, stop relying on fragile things. Stop putting your fragile soul in the hands of fragile people, things that you will break and be broken by you in the process. Come and place it on me. Today, Jesus invites you to rely upon him. Today, Jesus invites you to receive cleansing and healing that comes through the believing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Today, Jesus invites you to rely upon his ability to hold you and to support you and to keep you in the love of God. Today, Jesus invites you 
to rely upon his ability to fulfill God's requirements and then transfer his goodness and his righteousness to you through faith. Today, Jesus invites you to rely upon his ability to make you a fruitful person that loves and gives and sacrifices for others. And today, Jesus invites you to rely on his ability to fill your life with meaning and abundance and joy. Here's the real stuff of Christian faith. This is what's next for us. This is what Jesus is calling us into now and forever. Abide in Jesus. Abide in Jesus. And while you're at it, abide in Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for...